Welcome to My Fertility Journey, Life Chats with Bianca Bullissian. you so so much for tuning in. Today's live chat was with Jody Peacock. She is a naturopath that focuses mostly on hormonal health. She's had over 15 years of clinical practice and she also founded the Canadian Fertility Show which this year is bringing us the its fourth edition and it's happening on February 6th. Jody also wrote a book, which we talked about on our conversation. It's called Preconceived, and she is also the chief medical officer at Enhanced Fertility. Enhanced Fertility has a line of products for parents-to-be, which is free of artificial coloring, flavoring, and preservatives. Um, this is not an ad for the products, but I do believe in good quality supplements, and these deserve a shout out. Also, um, if you go to their website and you sign up, the link is on the notes, you will get a free recipe book, which she talks a bit about as well on the end of the interview. Um, I got it just last week and it's really good. I love the smoothie recipes and there's like a bunch of other stuff for every different meal. So in this episode, we talked about her journey. She has um, PCOS. She shared how she approaches clients with that profile as well. She told us about the founding of the Canadian Fertility Show. And I also shared a bit about my experience at the 2019 show, which was super informative and super special to me. Check the notes for all the links mentioned in the conversation and keep an eye on my Instagram at myfertilityjourney.ca because I'm going to be giving out free tickets for the show starting tomorrow, Wednesday, the 20th. Hi, Jodie. Welcome to the show and thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to chat with you. Yes. So um, I wanted to start with your story with fertility and how that came to you in terms of um, the ability of being pregnant, um, to be pregnant and um, at an early age and sort of any diagnosis, any um, experience with doctors and all of that. And then we will sort of carry on the conversation from there sounds great. So yeah, I mean, my initial interest, I guess, in the fertility world started when I was in my early 20s. Um, I was in my first year of naturopathic school studying. And my cycle was kind of a bit irregular. I had, you know, a few kind of symptoms around PCOS, but didn't really wasn't really sure what was happening. Um, So ended up going to see um, an OBGYN and did the internal ultrasound. And then from that and the blood work, it became very obvious that I did have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And the doctor who I'd seen at the time did do a lot of fertility treatment and work. And he made a comment to me, and I, I don't even know, it kind of felt like it was a bit off the cuff for him that, oh, you've got PCOS. Um, so, you know, don't wait to have kids because you're going to have trouble. And so I left that appointment kind of reeling a little bit because at this point, mm. you know, I'm in first year of a four year program. 
you know, I, I, at that point I was like, well, you know, I think I want to have kids eventually, but I certainly am not in a place where I want to have them right now. Like, what does this actually mean? And so then, you know, obviously being in a medical program, I, you had the opportunity to have access to some different experts and was then able to really spend a lot of time figuring out from a diet and lifestyle standpoint, how can I actually help with this, you know, syndrome that I have and what can I do to maintain my fertility and my overall health through the long run. Um, So that's really where I then put my focus when I started my practice, once I graduated, have been very focused in women's health, hormonal balance, and and certainly in that fertility realm, because that's often, unfortunately, when people are diagnosed with some of these conditions is once they're having trouble, right? They get band-aided when they're younger with, just take the pill, that'll get you a cycle. Then they stop the pill, uh, and all of a sudden they have no period, they have no cycle, they're not ovulating, and they don't know why, right? So it's a really you know, important time. And I, I trying to reach people at younger and younger ages. So they're not kind of hit with this as they're actively trying to get pregnant. So we've got a little bit more time to get things regulated better for them. Yes. A bit more like pre instead of post. Absolutely. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the concept of um, uh, the natural medicine too, right? is to, yeah, try and prepare your body as best you can. Would you say that that diagnosis then set like what you, what you did and what you do now? Did you see yourself working with mostly women and hormonal balance and stuff like that before? So originally I was going to be in sports medicine. Like that was kind of, I grew up as a pretty competitive athlete. And and this is something that I, I actually find a lot of women that end up getting diagnosed with PCOS. Like there's kind of two different versions of PCOS, but a lot of our kind of higher end athletes actually do have polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's one like because they have that little bit higher testosterone, it actually gives you a little bit of a competitive advantage. So it's not all bad, this diagnosis, right? But as women age and then, you know, often training reduces, that's when symptoms start to show up. And that's absolutely how it presented for me as well. Um, So then kind of saw that niche as, okay, this is something nobody's talking to these women about what's happening with their body, why they're not, you know, cycling regularly. and, And there's lots that you can do to support it for sure. Yes, that's so interesting. I'm always fascinated with people's stories because sometimes you like you start a program like yours with uh, the uh, naturopath school or, you know, whatever it is, and then something happens to you personally and it changes your career and what you thought maybe that you were going to do for the rest of your life. It's just so fascinating how life just like guides us sometimes, right? And it takes us places we wouldn't, we wouldn't expect. Um, Can you explain a little bit about um, like, if it's a listener that had never, have never heard about um, PCOS and doesn't really know what it is, just in layman's terms, roughly, and then go into maybe a bit about what you did for yourself. Um, and then and then how eventually you got to, to have your your kids and you didn't, you didn't have to go through treatment, maybe how maybe you expected or how your doctor expected when he gave you the diagnosis. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, basically polycystic ovarian syndrome is just that a syndrome, right? So it, there's, it doesn't necessarily present the same from person to person, but okay. the kind of cardinal things to the diagnosis are either a, you're not um, ovulating or you don't have a period, like a regular period. Um, from a blood work standpoint, we'll see elevated androgens, so either elevated testosterone um, or DHEA. And then the, from an ultrasound standpoint, uh, basically they, you have to do a transvaginal ultrasound that looks at the ovaries. Um, when we see the ovaries in somebody that has polycystic ovaries, there's basically lots and lots and lots of follicles developing on each side. So a typical cycle for someone who doesn't have polycystic ovaries, you normally will see somewhere between kind of five and 12 follicles developing on each side in a polycystic. Like when I went for my first ultrasound, I think they stopped counting at 35. On oh, wow. So oh, there's wow. definitely a lot of follicles developing. And what the, the concern is with that when you're trying to get pregnant, you get lots and lots of this follicle development, but a lot of times none of them get to a point that they're actually robust and mature enough to ovulate. So you get okay. all these little follicles, but then you don't actually ovulate a healthy one. They're sort of like over, they're overcrowded yeah, <laughs> they're, and they're not getting where they should be on the maturity. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. basically, I mean, the, the imbalance between kind of the testosterone with your estrogen, the estrogen d isn't as dominant, so it doesn't get to essentially grow those follicles properly. Okay. So from a kind of lifestyle standpoint, there is like, there's some patients with polycystic ovarian that also have a big component of blood sugar regulation concerns. So they often will end up kind of, if they don't make some lifestyle changes, end up also getting diagnosed with type two diabetes down the road. Um, then for some patients, there is more of like a more severe endocrine component where it also will impact their adrenal system. So your adrenals are something kind of one of the things they're responsible for is your stress response. And they secrete a hormone called cortisol. Um, so the way that cortisol should work is basically when you wake up in the morning, cortisol is what kind of rises to help you feel kind of rested and ready to go. It should stay at a pretty low level most of the day. And then when you're going to sleep at night, it drops as melatonin comes up so that you sleep. Um, in some women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, we will see basically that curve is not working properly. It'll start rising in the middle of the night. People will wake up at 4 a.m. and feel wired. Then they're crashing mid-afternoon as it's kind of dropping because that's when it thinks you should be going to sleep. So mm. there's definitely, you know, for some women that, and uh, there's women that don't have PCOS that also have that happening. So yeah. it's not specific to that, but definitely there can be that adrenal piece. So one of the things that I will kind of begin to look at when I'm working with a patient that has the diagnosis is, okay, which kind of camp are they in? Are they more in the blood sugar side? And some people unfortunately get both. So yes. <laughs> then we're dealing with kind of both sides of it, but from a blood sugar standpoint, which is kind of the more traditional PCO diagnosed patients, um, their diet plays a huge, huge role. Like if we can can get women to kind of reduce or eliminate the refined carbohydrates, like get rid of the sugars, the white bread, the white rice, you know, those kind of products, then we're not spiking that insulin 
constantly for them. Um, they're also a population that generally will do well. I'm sure you've heard of intermittent fasting. That's become kind of a buzz thing over the last yes. few years. Yeah. A lot of times, like I will find that women in this category, especially if they have that blood sugar piece, will do very well with intermittent fasting. Because when you when you kind of hit that um, 12 hour window where you haven't eaten, you basically have depleted all your sugar stores that you have in your liver and your muscles. Mm -hmm. And then your body will flip to using fat as a fuel source. So when we make that flip, now your body doesn't need to secrete insulin anymore. And insulin is basically kind of what's underlying being really inflammatory and problematic in a lot of these um, women. So the more we can kind of reduce the amount of insulin or shut it off completely, the better they start to feel. So what I mean, and I find this for myself personally, like, as soon, you know, if I wake up and I make a, you know, a poor dietary decision and eat a muffin or a donut, or, you know, something like that, then for the rest of the day, it's like, I am battling sugar cravings all day long, where if I stick to, okay, I'm not going to eat, till I have my, you know, 11 o'clock shake and I put an acetal in there that helps with blood sugars and, you know, have some other fiber and a good fat source, I can be totally fine the rest of the day. Yeah. So it's definitely, you know, being more kind of mindful around the foods, but then also getting that support. Cause once you go off the rails, so to speak, it can mm -hmm. be really hard to get back on. Yeah. It's uh, and and it's amazing how like sometimes one day, one day yeah. that you go off the rails, it's already like it takes then another two days to to get, to get off of the craving. Yeah. And yeah, I did um I did a some I ne never like a hundred percent too extreme, but more of a keto style diet that worked very well for me because I had um, candida. So I cut the sugar and up the fats. So ba basically, that's what I did. And then a gluten sensitivity that I have too. So I cut that and it just ended up being very similar to a keto diet and just amazing how the difference of not craving sugar just yeah, blows my mind. And then if I do eat something just one day, yeah. And then, yeah, it takes, it takes double the time to get rid of it, but, but it is possible. So it's not also, it's not like you, you have to be off things that maybe you find yummy or it's a treat forever. Absolutely. Like you can still, yeah, you can still treat yourself and stuff. I'm just curious. So can you give us um, a little recipe of what would be your ideal shake that, that, or smoothie that you just mentioned? Yeah. So typically I'll put um, some type of protein powder in. So, um, you know, depending on what your, you know, food restrictions are, could yeah. be a whey protein, could be a soy based. Um, right now I'm using a pea rice blend, uh, option. Then I'll put, um, either some like blueberries, some strawberries, some type of berry in there, mm -hmm. usually a couple good handfuls of baby spinach, um, and then I'll put either a little bit of coconut oil, or I may put like an almond butter, something that I'm getting a bit of a fat source out of. It. And then I usually will just use an almond milk as the fluid piece, blend that and away you go like that. So good. You can make that hit about usually around 400 calories, which is basically the equivalent of a meal. So yeah. this is the thing that we need to be careful about with smoothies, especially again, depending on 
where weight is for you. If you're someone that is very lean and you need to gain weight, then this is a nice strategy to actually increase caloric intake. If you're on the other end, you need to kind of treat that as a meal. Because I find sometimes when you put something in liquid form, it becomes oh, it's not like I ate anything, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Eat the meal as well. So if you're going to load it with something like, you know, an almond butter or something, and, and that's going to get you that higher calorie count, you just have to be careful that that then is your meal. Yes. For yeah. that sitting, right? That's a great, great tip yeah. and advice. Yeah, I love the, the butter, the almond butter idea, because I've never thought about using that. And then, um, yeah, a while ago, I saw actually a recipe for a warm smoothie, which grossed me out the idea at first. But yeah. then when I tried it, it tasted like like apple pie kind of thing. And, and I just loved it. And it was, it just had like some sort of um, almond butter or peanut butter. Um, so, so yeah, that's a great idea if you want to get the fat in and, and again, treat it like a meal. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't have it beside your like French yes. toast pancake yeah. kind of <laughs> breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's great. I love that. Um, so if we can come back to the PCOS, so you do all these tests, right. Um, to see where the issue is, or there could be more than one place, like you mentioned, and then you work on it. So it, does that mean that the body then start producing less of those follicles every cycle? Or is it still going to be a lot more than the average, but then the quality is better and your chances to get pregnant um, increases? Yeah, so we generally don't see kind of it stopping the number of follicles, we may see a bit of a reduction, but more so what the goal is to is to have you know, at least one follicle that becomes your dominant follicle get to a good healthy size. Um, so there is there are a few nutrients that can help with that one that I find I use a lot in my patients with PCOS is inositol. Because um, inositol has some really great research impacting almost all of the symptoms that can come along with PCOS. So it helps wow. regulate blood sugar. So it helps with that insulin piece. Um, we often generally will find within a couple months of using it, um, cycle starts to regulate. We actually see ovulation starting to happen. And then we also will see improvement in some of the other symptoms like the acne, the hirsutism, like the hair growth in places that we don't want. Um, it does help bring down elevated testosterone, but if somebody has kind of a normal testosterone, it doesn't drop it too low. Like it, it's quite amazing how well it helps to just regulate. Nice. Yeah. So that's definitely something that we would, would look at if there's more of that blood sugar piece. There's also a supplement called N-acetylcysteine or NAC that has some really good research. There was one trial comparing that to metformin, which is a common pharmaceutical drug that will get prescribed for like either women with PCOS or type two diabetics. And they actually found that NAC worked just as well from a blood sugar standpoint, wow. but we actually got better quality follicles for women with it. So there's, there's some really good research using NAC for that egg quality piece. And, and again, like, especially as women start to age with this diagnosis, we can start to see more of a diminishment in that egg quality components. So, you know, using what we can from diet, um, and then also from supplementation can really help support um, that healthy egg production. 
Nice, nice. Um, this might be a bit of a, a tricky question because I know every person is different. So it's not like I won't hold you accountable for it. But um, what is your like average of treatment for, for someone in this situation um, or even from your personal experience from the the diagnosis and then when you start um, doing all the supplementation? Of course, there's always the investigation type um, yeah. phase right in the beginning. But how long until you start seeing results? I mean, typically within three months, we should see things start to regulate. Now, it it also depends how invested that person is in making changes because, and it depends too on their mindset around it, right? For some people, they're just not ready to make big changes. So we take a slower approach and we just know it's going to take longer before we see everything really start to regulate. So it definitely is quite individual. Um, but as long as the person's willing to put in some effort, um, I can't say I've ever seen someone who we haven't seen improvement with now, whether that ends up with, you know, a baby in three months, no, but should we start to see cycle regulating better symptoms, improving mood, improving all of these things? Absolutely. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. The mental part is so important too, right? Because if the person is incredibly overwhelmed, then there's no point on making like so many changes all at once that their mental, um, emotional sort of yeah. Um, situation is not good, right? Because it will sort of, it'll be counterproductive, right? Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I, I am a big fan of checking in with people, see how they're doing on and, you know, before we even start anything, like, what are their expectations, you know, setting that the stage for that? And how are we going to achieve those? And, and what's doable for them? Right. So, you know, generally we're not going to overhaul your diet, start you exercising, put you on all in one visit because that would be crazy. Yeah. So it's like, okay, let's meet the person where they're at. And, you know, some some patients coming in have already done a lot of work before and they just need a little bit of fine tuning where other patients, you know, haven't even considered their diet as part of it and they don't like to exercise and they don't want so it really depends where they're at on their journey as well yeah yeah but I like I like the classic three months I think that's what they say with with most things right so it's a nice time frame that you're like okay it's not too much but it's you can see it in the in the end of the yes or the light in the end of the tunnel and it's something you can focus on yeah I like that so um okay can we start talking a little bit about the um, Canadian fertility show so absolutely love for you to share um your your founding of it and um how it came to be yeah, absolutely. So we are going into the fourth year this year. Um, so our date for this year is February 6th. And obviously due to COVID restrictions this year, it is going to be completely virtual for the yeah. first time. So it's a little bit of a different kind of feeling and mindset around it. But um, when I first kind of looked to start the show, um, basically I had a patient, I don't know, I guess probably at this point, maybe about eight years ago, uh, traveled to the UK uh, because they had been running uh, this quite large fertility show there. Um, now I think it's been going on for about 15 years. And when she told me she was going, I thought, wow, like that's really exciting, but why why can't you just do something here? Like that's a big trip to go for a conference, yeah. right? And so I searched her. I was like, okay, there's got to be something in Canada. I couldn't find anything here. So I thought, okay, well, there's got to be something closer in the United States. 
And I honestly, there was nothing that I could find um, that provided kind of this combination education in a setting for patients. So looking at both kind of the more traditional things like IVF and IUIs, looking at, you know, diet, nutrition, acupuncture, how does, you know, a counselor play a role? Where does egg donation and sperm donation come into play? Like there's so many different areas that, you know, people can have touch points with on their fertility journey that, you know, I thought, okay, well, I, so I went to check out the show, um, thought it like, you know, seeing all these experts in one place was just amazing. And then Mm -hmm. said, okay, well, nobody's doing it here. So I guess I'll take it on and, and start it. So certainly in the first year was pretty daunting to go and talk to people and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. You know, some of the feedback I got from people, you know, some people right away were like, yes, this is amazing. I'm on board. You know, some of the people I talked to were like, nobody's going to come to that. Nobody wants to talk about fertility. People are so, you know, private about it. And Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's the whole reason that I'm starting the show because I want people to feel like they have a safe place where they can talk about it, where they can see there are so many other people that are having challenges with their family planning um, and that, you know, they can talk to experts in one place, they can hear from different people, see how many different areas they might have not even thought about, you know, from their perspective where they're at, but okay, you know what, maybe that is a place that I can go and have that safe conversation and talk to someone about what does egg donation actually look like if that's, you know, a route that, that might make sense in your individual case, or, oh, there's other tests that I've never even heard of that, you know, maybe I need to be running genetic screening on my embryos, or maybe I need to be looking at my um, uterine receptivity. Um, And, you know, depending on what clinic they might be at, that might be something the doctor's very familiar with, or it might be something that they're not as familiar with. So they haven't actually even talked to you about it yet. Yeah, true. being able to get access to all these different services um, and supports in one place is just, I think it's, it's quite profound for people. Yeah, it's amazing. And you know, while, while you were talking, I was thinking back to my experience when I came last year, which was so like, I have no, I don't even have words to explain like what my experience was. I have like tears because First, I um, I got the the IVF Babble magazine. Yep. Yep. So I sign up to their newsletter and I get it, but it's a lot of information. And at the time, I was deciding to go back to treatment. So it was just over a year ago, middle of maybe middle of um, of last year of twenty. Well, not last year, <laughs> um, but the year before twenty nineteen. Right? It's I keep forgetting we're already on twenty twenty one. I know it's crazy. So I. I was just overwhelmed with like going back to treatment, deciding so many things. I wasn't reading um, the newsletter. It was just too much, right? So I would just see it on my email and I would just like, just brush through it. And then this one day, for some reason, I just opened it. I just, something made me open it. And then it was there, the, uh, the, the flyer for the Canadian Fertility Show. And I'm like, oh, because just Canadian, it just um, 
caught my attention, obviously. So I clicked on it and they had a discount code of some sort. I'm like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should go, you know, I'm going back to like, I have a new clinic and a new doctor and whatnot. So um, I clicked on it. I got my ticket. I didn't even think about it. I just got my ticket and, and I went by myself and I then met um, Tracy from IVF Babel, which happens to be my aunt. My aunt lives in, in the UK. She's here from Canada, but she's lived there most of her life. And they're close friends. So I got to meet her. It just isn't that like already that on itself so is yeah. so funny and, and bizarre in a cool way. So I got to meet her and, and tell my aunt that I met that I met her. And then I got to meet um, Crystal from um, Blue Miss. Um, and, and we have so much in common. So we created a, a bond as well. And then I met someone also just so random someone that I had met at a video shoot for my work as a Pilates instructor. And she was there with a documentary um, crew. She had nothing to do with the fertility stuff. And, and we're like, oh, just, she's like, oh, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like we just exchanged, just told her briefly about my struggles. And, and she's like, oh, I'm here with this um, lady that's doing a documentary. Maybe she would like want to talk to you. So she just texted the lady that was like somewhere else in the, in the conference place. And, and then she, she came to me, like we met at a, a different room and then she, I gave an interview and <laughs> The, the weirdest most like amazing thing at the same time and and to go with what you were what you were saying about like having like so much different information in the in the same room like I saw a lecture with a with a naturopath and then I saw a lecture with um the PGS um the genetic testing it was a, a lady from a lab and she explained exactly like technically how it works, but very straightforward, not too overwhelming. So that was amazing as well, because I am 38 at the time I was 37. So that was a, an issue. Like her doctor was like, I, I definitely recommend that you guys test the, the embryos, but then you go online and then there's just so many um, different opinions, just everyone giving their own opinion about things. So it was so nice to understand how it actually worked because the doctors also like our appointments are so fast. They don't have time to sit and just tell you exactly how it works, right? And why they believe it's a good idea and whatnot. Um, they just recommend it because of this and that's it, right? And you're out the door. So that was just so nice to just sit with my notepad and just pay attention. And I'm like by myself. So it felt, even though you feel somewhat comforted because there are so many people around that are going through the same struggles, which is sad in a way. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I feel like I'm not so lonely, but you still have your privacy, right? No one is like looking around judging, oh, that person, they're probably struggling with to have a baby, right? It's just everyone is in their own zone, but it's it just feels so welcoming. So I just wanted to share that so you know, because it's just, it really, it felt really nice. And then the other thing too, that I was thinking as you were talking is um, now that I'm, you know, we're doing transfers and, and whatnot. And we, at, every time I go online to search for something, even if I'm on Instagram and I like a, a, a 
post of someone that's pregnant, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to show on my feed or on Facebook. If I like something that's going to show on my um, feed and people are going to know that I liked this thing. And you know, like there's no privacy online anymore. Even if you're just on your own account, right? You go on Google, you do a search, you don't know what's going to show up and what people are going to see. And when you're in a place like this, you know, like you're in community with privacy at the same time, like it's, yeah. So I, I guess it, my way to tell my long story and experience with what you created and, and I guess to say thank you too for, for doing it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, can we, can you share with us then um, how, so from the first um, show that you did, so about four years ago to today or to the last time, let's say 2019 was the, was the last um, show. How 2020. Yeah. 2020. Sorry. Yep. Um, how did it evolve? Yeah. So, I mean, basically we had the opportunity to kind of evolve more speakers. We had more, um, you know, exhibitors coming. So from year one to year three, it certainly grew quite a lot. Uh, last year we had about 24, lectures during the day and then last year we also added um, a professional component as well so we had actually a separate speaker room just for um, health professionals so that they could also kind of take because you know I was thinking well I've got all these experts in this place and we're doing this great education for the public but these are also like you know award-winning doctors and um, PhDs that we should take advantage and put together a, you know, a professional side as well. So that's kind of what got added last year. Now this year, moving to the virtual format, um, there are a couple of things I'm quite excited for. Now, obviously I would, I would love for it to be in person, but that, that obviously isn't going to happen right now, but with the virtual format, it does give us a much bigger reach, right? Cause we want to be able to help educate people no matter where they are. And if they can't, you know, get to the international center in Mississauga for that one day, now, you know, we have this opportunity for them to be able to log in wherever they are. Um, And the other really cool thing with the software that we're using for it is the event, as long as you register by the day of the event, you have access to everything for 30 days afterwards. So, you know, one of the feedbacks we kind of got last year is we had so many amazing speakers, but we had to have people overlap because there's only so much time in a day. So, you know, some, some feedback we got was, well, I really wanted to see you know, this person, but I also want to see this person. They yes. happen to be at the same time. So this year, yes, we will have people live during the day and there will be some overlap time, but with having that access, you can then go back anytime in the month after. So for all of February and rewatch something, if you didn't catch something or, you know, watch whatever was going on at the same time Um, and all the exhibitor booths will also still be there so there as an exhibitor you're able to kind of put in videos you're able to put in different um, literature pdfs during the day of the show there is uh, you know people live in the booth that can chat with you and answer questions and set up meetings but you still will have access to kind of all the information in there for that whole month after as well so I know for some people, because there is so much information, it can, it can start to get a little bit overwhelming for them. So this way it gives us the opportunity to, you know, 
connect day of, but then also to help continue that support piece afterwards. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I felt because um, there was a couple of things that I wanted to see and there were in like different rooms when I was there. I'm like, oh, I have to cho- I have to choose. But um, yeah, that's amazing. There are definitely perks from the from the online platform for sure. So to start wrapping up, how about we uh, you share a bit about the book, your your own book? Yeah, so I wrote a book a couple of years ago called it's called Preconceived. And basically, it's kind of it's designed as a very easy to read step by step guide to kind of the research supporting diet, lifestyle, supplementation, you know, certain, you know, screening labs, why, why are we worried about them? And what ranges should we be getting so that the kind of the hope for people reading it is that they feel really empowered to say, okay, here's a checklist of like what I need to do and understand why they're doing it. But that's in a very easy to follow format. So basically each chapter is like three to four pages. There's no fluff. There's no, it's just like, okay, this is, you know, things that you can do to help support depending on again, where you're at in your journey with some very simple take home messages that, you know, help kind of set the playing field. And then, you know, depending on where those things come back, then that's the stuff that you then go and talk to your naturopathic doctor or your REI, depending again, where you're at in your journey as to how you go forward with it. But, you know, I just found in clinic, I'm like, okay, I really would love people to get all this information and for me to spend the time one-on-one talking through all of it over and over again. I'm like, okay, this is silly. It's a waste of their time. It's a waste of my time. Let's put this in a format where Mm -hmm. they can go. And then we can just then focus on the pieces that they really need support. So it is available on Amazon um, or it's also available on enhancedfertility.ca. That's lovely. And I will, yeah, I'll put the, the link on the notes so people can can check it out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very nice to have a resource like that, where it's like you said, condensed, you don't have to read like a full book on one thing, and then a whole full book on another thing, everything is yeah, condensed and one resource. Absolutely. Thank you. And then Do you have any recommendation for the listeners, anything that has personally got you through any, any struggle in life or hard time? I would say I just, I really encourage patients to listen to their gut, Mm -hmm. listen to that instinct. Cause I have seen patient after patient where they're like, okay, I, I, I didn't feel, you know, connected to this practitioner or this diagnosis didn't really make sense to me, but I just went with it. Cause that's what the professionals told me you live in your body. And as much as yes, you, you, you know, you might need support from a doctor or a counselor or a therapist, like along the way, you ultimately are the one that needs to feel comfortable with whatever choices you're making. And that goes right the way through, right? Like once you're pregnant, once you have a baby, there's so many times where we can second guess ourselves and think, okay, is this really the right, and I'm going to do more research and more. And I mean, I'm, I love research, like I am a total nerd Mm -hmm. around that stuff, but you also just need to listen to that inner voice that says, okay, yes, this is what makes sense for me and go with that. Right. Like even, you know, before I started on my journey to be a naturopath, it was like, no, I'm going to be an ER emergency room doctor. Like that was my, Mm -hmm. and then I found out about naturopathic medicine. I was like, oh, wait, like this for me resonates and really makes sense. So you know, that completely changed that whole path, right? And so whether it's 
in your career, it's in your personal life, it's in your fertility journey. I just really honor and listen to that gut instinct. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Yeah, it's so it's so hard when you're vulnerable, right? And you're just at you feel like you're at the mercy of um, the doctors, but really, we do have more power than we than we think. Absolutely. And keep asking those questions, right? If something doesn't sit right, if it doesn't, you know, feel like this, and, you know, I, I, I've had so many patients over the years that were like, no, I just knew this wasn't right, but nobody would listen to me, right? You got to just keep, keep moving and like find some, you know, keep talking to other people until you find someone that, that will listen, right? That is a good fit for you. Yeah, we always we also feel like we're stuck with the one doctor. Like that's not a thing. I don't know why we feel that way. You can just move on. You can just fire the doctor and just walk away and find a new one. So that's that's great advice. Thank you. And then we will wrap it up with you sharing us your um social media, any social media handles and your website. Um we got the name of the book, so that's great. Um anything else that you would like to share where people can find you? Yeah. So for the show, um, it's a Canadian fertility show.ca. Um, we're on Instagram and Facebook with Canadian fertility show. I'll send you the the links for those for sure. And then, um, I'm also the chief medical officer for enhanced fertility. So I do a lot of education through that, uh, website. So you can sign up for the newsletter at enhancedfertility.ca for kind of more research-based, fertility supports, nutrition support as well. Right now we've got a promo where if you sign up for the newsletter, you get a free um, copy of the enhanced fertility recipe book. It's about a 60, I think Mm. there's about 60 recipes in it. So just to help kind of get you started. Um, And then also on Instagram and Facebook at enhanced fertility. Okay, awesome. And yeah, and we do have a, a code for Yes. Yeah. So we'll put that in there as well. So we'll put out a code for um, half price tickets for anyone um, to access. And then I believe you're also going to run a promotion for for some free tickets. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you guys to you to decide how you're running that part. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. So you guys can keep an eye on that. And um, awesome. Jody, thank you so, so much for your time. Such a lovely conversation and a wealth of knowledge. Thanks for being here. And um, I guess I'll see you in the show. (laughs) Thank you again so much for having me today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in today. I hope this conversation was enlightening or inspiring in some way. If you need to make changes to your health and lifestyle, if you need extra support, all the links to contact Dr. Jody are on the notes of the episode. Remember, the best way to support the show is to share and talk about it. So you can print screen and tag people on it. You can share and copy the link and send it to them privately. But this is the best way to spread the awareness. If you know anyone that has PCOS, this episode particularly very important with a lot of knowledge Um, behind it and also if you know anyone that might want free tickets for the Canadian Fertility Show so don't miss out on that and I will see you guys next week
This podcast wouldn't be up and running if it wasn't for the help of a few very special people. You can find my special thanks to them all at myfertilityjourney.ca. And if you want to keep in touch, find me on Instagram on at myfertilityjourney.ca. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, leave a review to support the show, and share it with anyone you think might benefit from it. Love you all, and I'll see you soon.